Hello everyone, this is Mark Guy again with another episode of speakbrave.co. It's it's a lifestyle podcast where we can talk about how to improve your life with the latest social, behavioral, and psychological research. So you can just live a better life, better than you ever expected. And I'm here with my friend John Morrow. Hello everybody. I hope you're having a good day. Welcome. Welcome. Indeed, welcome. John, today I'd like to talk about something very elusive to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least it was elusive to me. It's about self-control and willpower. That actually, earlier in life, was definitely a, an elusive, yeah, an elusive thing. Still have a little trouble with it, but it's getting better. But you're right. That that's that's a tough one. It is a tough one. What I want to introduce to listeners is that. There's been a lot of research in the last decade and actually starting in the last 50, 60 years where a lot of scientists have tried to tease out and do scientific studies to understand where does willpower come from. And that's what I want to mention today. Have you ever heard about the marshmallow experiment? No, I can't say that I've heard of the marshmallow experiment. That's interesting. Oh, I see you've got a book there that's got a picture of a marshmallow on it. That's right. That does make me a little hungry. <laughs> oh, that's the point. It, it, it needs you to get hungry. <laughs> it was developed by a very famous psychologist, Walter Michel, in, 19, in the late 1960s at Stanford University. It's, it's one of the most cited and it's well-known experiment where the scientists have placed four-year-olds in a room and they give them a choice. Would you like to get a marshmallow, cookie, or some other treat? But they had a caveat. Um, they would say, okay, you can have one of these treats right now, or if you wait 15 minutes or some other predetermined amount of time, when the researcher goes back into the room to see the children again, that child w- can have two of the treats or more. Hmm. That was the experiment. There was a lot of other things that happened in the background. First of all, the assistants and people who were running the experiments, they had to gain trust of the children because you cannot just get somebody off the street and tell them, okay, we're going to do an experiment for you. First, you have to play with the children, make sure that when you say you're going to come back, if I'm a child, I'm going to ring the bell and I'm going to make sh- I want to make sure that the research assistant will come back into the room. There was a lot of background that was done before the research was done. And the Walter Michel, he tracked all those kids through their 20s, through their 30s, through their 40s. Well, that's a long experiment. That's like a lifetime experiment. That's right. And what he found out, the people who were able to delay the reward were able to deal with life in a better term. Specifically, they had a lower uh, body mass index, had less marital problems less financial problems so it is we can always jump to the conclusion and say okay if i was four years old and i could have delayed the marshmallows or the cookies my life would turn out just peachy and perfect i think i have to be cautious not to draw that kind of conclusion for anyone but i think it has some merit i agree with you because we live in a society where they, I want it now. I want it now, yeah. Instant gratification. Yeah. 
And nobody likes the idea of deferred or delayed gratification. And yet, there are benefits to waiting. It's true in financial planning. You do financial planning, and we're all familiar with the rule of 72. Mm -hmm. But what we don't stop to think about is that no place where the rule of 72 is more prevalent and works its magic than it is in mutual funds because mutual funds are not purchased for the purposes of speculation. Generally speaking, they're purchased because of longevity. Mm -hmm. In other words, using established trends in specific types of portfolios we know that over a specified period of time based upon past indicators that that portfolio or product will take ten dollars and turn it into one hundred dollars for every ten dollars invested if we're patient and willing to wait out the many many years probably decades it would take for that money to grow at its normal rate like it has previously. That's right. So people have to think that way in terms of risk, but life, I think it's even more so because here I think I see you talking about the potential risk if we do not learn to practice willpower, if we Mm -hmm. do not learn to delay the gratification for the better good over a long term. That's right. Would that be correct? That's correct. I also want to point out, you mentioned something very important about the financial planning, about the financial planning and about saving for retirement. It is one of the very devastating statistics in the United States, at least, that quite a large majority of people are not prepared. They don't have sufficient savings when they turn 65 or older to deal with the monthly expenses, with their yearly expenses. Of course, you, you cannot go back and say, oh, I should have done that. I should have invested here or done some other financial investments. The truth of the matter is majority of people entering age 65 are not, are not prepared financially. And I also want to say there was an experiment done. Let's say an employer, an employer bringing new hires into the company. And they have two forms. One of them will say, okay, there's your choice. You can contribute to pension plan, to the 401k, but you have to uh, check this mark, check this box, okay? The, the rate of participation was 40%, mm-hmm. okay? Now, the same employer designed the same form and said, okay, your participation in the financial planning in the 401k is mandatory and if you want to opt out this is the box you have to check the rate of participation with the second form was over 90 percent so somebody at that company had a foresight to create plan that it was difficult to get out i mean on board will participate if you give the people option to do it or not to do it, a lot of people will just not. They will just, they will, it will escape from their mind. But when you already have it part of the package, the participation rate goes up. And it becomes more work to have to opt out of it, and people don't want to bother with checking a box. They don't want to check the box. So you imagine such a huge difference in the participation rate with just a little tweak, a little change in design. Perception. 
It's a perception, yes, and that's also part of the um, willpower. I learned something yesterday as I was reading Malcolm Gladwell in the yes. book Blink, uh-huh. and this I think ties to it too because certain words stimulate us, and I am amazed at it, but one of the research studies that they did had to do with five-word combinations that were in no particular order, but the job was for the individual to read the five-word combination and then put it in the proper formation to complete a complete sentence. And there were 10 of them, and they were given a 10-minute time frame to do it. The irony of it is, is that when the people finished, it was not the fact that they got the sentences lined up correctly that mattered. It was more about the words that were being used in the sentences and what those words triggered. Because in every one of those five-word groups that made up a total of 10 complete sentences when done correctly, there was one trigger word, one word that basically our bodies don't cognitively look at it and say it's one of those words. But because of our unconscious intelligence... Mm -hmm. Those words, when combined in a group where you have a different word in 10 different sentences, but all 10 of those words together represent a specific emotional response, somehow or the other, as the brain processes those words and the visuals that are associated with those words, we take on the personality That's of right. those words. See, I think you, you touched on something very important, John. I think if anyone who dares to increase their willpower and self-control. When you say enough is enough, why do I always, or always, that's another trigger word, always means there's no escape. But if you want to talk to yourself that way, that's fine. When you say, why do I always make the same decision? Why do I always fail at this? And triggers come important. But I think what's even more important is self-knowledge. If you are a serious student of who you are, and you deeply, you, you have an introspection. Okay, this trigger words, these situations, this type of um, conditions will create a trigger. And if that happens over and over and over again, it is a clear sign. It is a clear sign. Take a step back. Have a system in place. If this happens, then this is my scenario. Can you give me an example? Yeah, I can. For example... Walter Michel, he talks about different individuals who have a propensity for, they have a high rejection sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And that could derail personal relationships. It can. For example, somebody somebody who may have been rejected on a personal, interpersonal in a relationship, or maybe somebody who's been rejected as a child or at work or at some other situation, they have a high propensity to sabotage themselves. Because they feel they have a perceived notion that they're going to be rejected. In other so, words, they've already concluded in their mind. In their mind. And it's maybe imaginary, maybe it's real. But those people who have the high re- um, rejection sensitivity create a story in their mind. And they do and say things that their imaginary, imaginary problem will become real. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh-huh. That was what so I was like. What, what I'm trying to say is, if you know your triggers, it, is, it takes a person of persistence and, cons- and consistency to look back and think, why does this happen? Do I have this? 
And why does it always create problems in my work relationship, my business, in my personal relationships? If you know this happens, then you have to take a time and say, if this happens, then this is the procedure I will do. For example, let's say husband and wife, they get together for breakfast. And the husband, he wants to talk. He wants to talk to his wife. But the wife is not in the mood. And she's not going to have it. She's reading her newspaper. She's just she's yawning. It's early morning. But he wants to talk. And the wife, not sensitive to his high rejection sensitivity, and may say a few things that may offend him. A husband knows that something is happening. He may throw an egg at her. And if he does that, she may leave him. She may break the, off the relationship. So when he sees those triggers coming up, you have to distance yourself. Or possibly do breathing exercises or count 100 in reverse to make sure that you don't overreact and destroy the relationship that you're trying to save. So create a map, a mind map. At the time when you're calm, I don't know, at, at your lunch hour or on the weekend, somewhere in a park, if this happens, then I will do that. Well, thinking for somebody who's listening right now, and I put myself in that, I think of a mind map, I think of this circle, that which is, and the circle represents perhaps me, or it represents the reactive me, or it represents the me that adversely deals with rejection, whatever it is, the me that needs to be fixed or at least needs to have control of his situation so that these forces don't cause me to go to a bad place. What would be some of the things connected to it? Would I do like a map of what makes me negative and then do a map of how I can make myself positive? That's right. See, if if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. And I believe from the research that we have, I believe willpower is not fixed. It is the story that we tell ourselves. If you prime your brain and say, okay, willpower is fixed, you either have it or not, I think you will be stuck in that prison that you make your own. I believe if you have an intentional effort, you have to create a solution for yourself. For example, somebody says something to you that you feel is a trigger point for you, mm-hmm. you have to recognize it have to recognize it and go through your list. Write it down on a piece of paper. Keep it in your pocket because you have done this again. You've been on this road before. This is a critical moment. This is the moment that you have prepared for. You know this was coming. This is your if, then. Create a solution. Distance yourself from a situation. Go to another room. Count down 100. Do breathing exercises. Another option that you can do is imagine yourself in the future. How, where, and what would you be doing five months from now? If that doesn't help, five years from now, would your reaction to these trigger points bring you where you want to be? Will that just dismantle all the time and investment you have created in this relationship or in this business transaction? Mm -hmm. Think of it where you want to be. Think of your future self. And not only that, but also imagine it so vividly. What are you going to be eating? What are you going to be wearing? How are you going to feel right now? Where are you going to be? Make it as vivid as possible so you will feel in the moment and you can distance yourself from the situation. Another strategy that you can use as well is create an environment where you observe a situation as if 
you are a fly on the wall. You observe an interaction between two people, but you don't actually live it emotionally that was set by the trigger point. You're looking at it objectively. Well, you try. Try, You try and you have intention. If you fly on the wall, you will blame the other person less. You will look at the things more objectively would have transpired. So this is the other toolbox. But it's difficult to pick sides. It is difficult to pick sides. Uh, This is the solution you can use after the fact because if you want to heal Mm -hmm. uh, it would help you to separate yourself from the situation and look as if you were flying the wall and replay it in your mind if you have if you want to but that will bring some objectivity into the situation tony robbins said that um, he said that individual role play one-on-one with yourself works uh he he described a story of a guy who had been to his um, workshops and his seminars. And these were the programs that he does that help people begin to change the way they think. I think think the program was entitled The Transformational Mind Process or something like that. What he was doing was he was trying to get people to transform their thinking. They were people that all had different kinds of thinking, but within the thinking process, although they were all gifted and brilliant and had great opportunity, there were things happening in their life that would interfere from them being successful. There were their, those negatives, and they were having trouble getting rid of them. And they benefited from having role play with other individuals, but the problem was is that often the role play wasn't sincere. So he said, stand in front of a mirror, look at yourself, and talk to yourself. Imagine yourself answering you. So ask the question, then how do you answer? He said, realize your mouth's moving the whole time, so if you focus on the mouth, you're not going to get it right. The point you need to do is you need to look at the eyes. And he said, it's amazing what will happen when you begin to have it, because it's a form of self-talk, but it's self-talk with a visual directly in front of you. The mirror looks both ways. Wow. And I thought to myself, that's an amazing thing because... Okay, I pray. Yeah. Yeah. And in my prayer, I visualize I'm not alone. Yeah. And that actually is a true statement for those of faith. But sometimes I need to talk to myself. And I need to be willing to talk to myself to the point to be brutally honest, maybe. Um, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words don't hurt. Well, that's that's a ball-faced lie. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, what I think, if I understand you correctly, John, is that self-talk, intentional self-talk, uh-huh, using a mirror, pray, is a form of distancing yourself from the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. Numerous studies have been done uh, by Daniel Kahneman, Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And also, there was a book that, by Walter Michel, The Marshmallow Test, mm-hmm, yeah. which they kind of talk about the same type of concept where each individual has two types of thinking systems in their brain. One is hot, and the other one is cool. Hot is where it's, uh, it's primal. It, it helped us humans to survive. And you, we need to make quick, snap decisions. Because if we wait just a millisecond longer, it may be dangerous to our life. That's a little bit like blink because it has yeah. to do with the unconscious intelligence. That's right, unconscious intelligence. It's a quick, quick strike. 
mm-hmm. quick strike, and you have to save your life. You see the thin slice, and you say, I know what I need to react to. That's right. Then there's another part of your brain that is cool, and it starts with a prefrontal con- uh, cortex mm-hmm. and in other parts of the brain that allows you to slow down and have logical, rational thought that can help you make better decisions. And what I think you have described is invoking that cool thinking, that cool thinking that you need so much to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think there is this interaction in, our, in us that we have. It's interaction between hot system and cool system. If you just live your life hot, 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 I think it's like an ant and a grasshopper in the Aesop's fable. Mm-hmm. Ant spent his time saving food and gathering provisions for the winter. Grasshopper just hopped around and did nothing. So it is this um, contradiction within us. And I think it starts with self-knowledge. We need both systems. We need both systems to survive and thrive. Because if you just rational, logical, you take the zest out of life. But if you always hot and jumping around, you may not have. You spend more time jumping conclusions, jump and have more, the, and you might wind up having more collateral damage. That's right. That's right. But so I'm not advocating to do one or the other. What I am. You need to blend. You need to blend and learn, learn the trigger points for yourself, mm-hmm. and that's the key to learning self-control and mastery. Because I do believe it's not fixed; it is growing. It is the more you use it, the better you get it. It's, it's, it's how you train your brain. If you want to be a better speaker, you got to speak. If you want to be an uh, exceptional athlete, you have to spend the time to be an exceptional athlete. Mm-hmm. I also believe that a lot of times we will still make mistakes because we don't have perfect information mm-hmm. about ourselves and about the situation. But what I am saying is learn your trigger points. Have a plan in place. If this happens, then I will either do, I'm going to distance myself from the situation. I'm going to imagine myself in the future. I'm going to do the fly on the wall technique. I'm going to do the breathing exercises. And the longer and the more intentional you are, the better your decisions will be. Now, this is a subject we'll revisit. Oh, yes. But I want to ask a quick question here. It, I believe that there are probably individuals listening to us right now. And I, I'm not picking on them or anything like that. It doesn't matter what your age is. doesn't matter where you're from, what part of the world you're in. doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are. We're talking about self-control, taking, finding out where you have a problem, and beginning to address that problem. But if that person is at that point, okay, look, I'm desperate. I, I've tried umpteen dozen things. I'm hearing you talk, Mark, and it all sounds good, but it sounds like it's so complicated. Mark, what do you tell them as far as where to begin? In other words, what would be the best place to start this process of changing how we react and finding those triggers and learning to have a plan to deal with them. Okay. Your mastery of who you are starts with self-knowledge. 
Self-knowledge. Self-knowledge. Okay. And if you want to be serious about it, about changing your life, change that is sustained, change that is that can take you to your next level of your dreams or where you want to be. I think it it would be recommended set a time once a year, once a month, and just think, okay, am I where I want to be in my life? What could be better? Are there some holes? Are there some holes in me that, or some goals that are just hopeless and I can never reach them? Should we be writing this down? Write it all down. Where I am, what could be better? Now, can you mind map something like that? I think whatever works for you, because some people cannot visualize and take information in a written way, and they need to draw up a map. And the map will actually will imprint and transfer in their brain a lot faster and more yeah. effective. See, I like the mapping yeah. idea myself yeah. personally My, because it, and I can do a map and I can see all the things that come in. Yeah. And I know that these are things which can be disruptors. That's right. So I would be working with the goal of getting rid of them and replacing them. And I, the one other thing I do want to caution is anyone who is taking a journey on self-improvement and using self-control, a lot of people, myself included, were part of this New Year's resolution. Have you ever tried those, John, or have you heard about them? Well, I've used New Year's resolutions in the past, but when I was asked most recently this past beginning of 2016, do you have a New Year's resolution, my statement was, I no longer do resolutions. Yes, I have things that I want to achieve, but resolutions seem to be easy to break. Yeah, because there's a lot of things that are happening at the same time. You're just coming off from the holidays. There's a lot of stress that you just dealt with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize how much stress we really have every day. And we need to because stress is, is a biggie. Uh, well, stress helps us to survive, helps us to make better it does, decisions. But yeah. it can also beat us up and it can weaken us and it can disable us. Prolonged exposure to stress that is generated by our own hormones can create right, serious chemicals. illness. That's right. probably why those words I was saying was important because yeah. those words create negative emotions. Negative emotions result in a chemical release. That's right. And what I'm going to do, because we're running out of time, Next time at our podcast, I will talk specifically about New Year's resolutions, why they fail, what is the better way to approach oh, I'm gonna love this. New Year's resolutions, and specific solutions, specific strategies that have worked in the past that are evidence-based and you can use right away. All right, I folks. Mean, this time we did talk about willpower, hot call, hot call. And willpower. And they're all good, but I can see them playing into this resolution message. That's right. And what we can do with our bodies, specifically, Mm -hmm. to overcome and be a better human being. All right. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, John. I look forward to that as well. Thanks, everyone, who've been listening. And this is John Morrow, by the way. Pleasure to be here with you as well. And thank you, Mark, for what you have shared with us. Look forward to hearing more from you. And this is Mark Guy. Make sure to check out our podcast at iTunes at speakbrave.co or markguy.com. Till next time.